0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. Our first podcast was earlier this year, and since we started, we'd have a number of inspiring and engaging guests and lots of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Plantel, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or a Wall Street Journal article. When you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another terrific show today with our featured guest, Dr. Robert A. Schuller. Robert is the guiding force behind Robert Schuller Ministries. The ministry strives to serve people on physical, emotional, and spiritual levels, which the ministry collectively calls vital living. Robert is also the son of the late Dr. Robert H. Schuller, the celebrated televangelist who started the nation's first megachurch. I'm looking forward to talking with Robert. It's sure to be a conversation you don't want to miss. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website poiibagain.com That's p o i i b o g a i n e.com Be sure to tell them that life's tough sent you. Dr. Robert A. Schuller is a pastor, a motivational speaker, a New York Times best-selling author, and a businessman. He is the guiding force behind Robert Schuler Ministries. The ministry strives to serve people on physical, emotional, and spiritual levels, which the ministry collectively calls vital living. Robert also travels the world on behalf of the Global Peace Foundation. Established in 2009, the organization is an international non-sectarian, non-partisan nonprofit that promotes a values-based approach to peace building. Robert, of course, is the son of the late Dr. Robert H. Schuller, the celebrated televangelist who started the nation's first megachurch. The father, Dr. Robert H. Schuller, had come to Garden Grove, California in 1955 to start a church in the tradition of the Dutch Reformed Church in America. The new church, which eventually became the first TV church in the country, started by holding services at a drive-in movie theater. The elder, Dr. Schuller, would speak from the roof of the snack bar. Robert Jr. eventually became the senior pastor of the Crystal Cathedral and the Hour of Power TV broadcast from January 6 until 2008. Robert resigned in late 2008. Robert was quoted as saying, God unexpectedly and radically began changing the direction of my life in July 2008, when the first in a series of decisions, not of my own accord, was made that turned my world upside down. The church eventually filed for bankruptcy in 2008. Today, Robert has gone on to serve other ventures, which we'll talk about in our upcoming conversation. Born in Blue Island, Illinois in 1954, Robert Jr. grew up in Southern California. He went to Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and Fuller Theological University in Pasadena, California. He was ordained in 1980. He started his signature Possibility Living Ministry, which included the development of a school, a church, a retreat center, and a radio program. Over the years, he has written 17 books. Robert and his wife Donna have four adult children and three grandchildren. Both Robert and Donna are outdoor enthusiasts, and they like to go scuba diving. Let's bring on our guest now, Robert, it's great to talk to you, and welcome to Life's Tough.
1: Hey, Dustin, thank you so much for inviting me onto your program. This is exciting.
0: Well, I can tell you, you have quite the bio, so I, I don't... Uh, you, you've done a lot in your life. Uh, and I, To me, <laughs> really real excited to know, what, what's it like to have... Uh, most kids, by the way, have dads that have man caves. Yours had a cathedral. What was it like growing up in a cathedral? Well,
1: I, I didn't grow up in the cathedral. I helped build the cathedral.
0: You helped build it. Uh, I grew
1: up in a little community church. It was called Garden Grove Community Church. Uh, My father took me to the Billy Graham crusade in 63 when I was eight years old. And we sat up in the high up in the bleachers someplace. And and I remember turning to my dad saying, hey, am I allowed to go forward? And he goes, you want to go forward? And I said, yeah. And here I am in the L.A. Coliseum, and and by myself, I walked all the way down to that field. And uh, the now looking back, I'm going, I can't believe my father let me walk. You
0: did that, like you have grandkids, you'd allow that, Robert?
1: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> 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 but uh, but it was different in 1963, and and um, so so it was just he and I sitting up there in those in those stands, and. Nobody recognized this, nobody said anything to us, because again, he was just a pastor of a little church, and that's the way I grew up. I would, I would crawl underneath his rope and stick my hands. how it began.: the pocket, slot and shake hands with people as they left the church. and when we started building the cathedral in 1976, I just graduated from college where I went to in Holland, Michigan. I spent four years in Holland. And, uh, then I participated in the construction of the cathedral meeting as one of the owner representatives. And, uh, I learned a lot about construction and development. And, and so I can say I literally helped build the Christ cathedral. And,
0: um, yeah. And so te- tell me in terms of yeah. size, like undertaking something to that magnitude like, that hadn't been done before, but you guys were creating something that was new.
1: Yeah, at the time, it was, I think, the largest church in the nation. When my father started his church in 1955, the largest congregations in the nation were about 1,000 members, would seat about 1,000 people. Um, And so when he built the Garden Grove Community Church Sanctuary, uh, it sat, I think, 1,200 or 1,300 people, and it was one of the largest in the nation at that point. And so at that point he became a mega church. And then when people were sitting out on the lawns and standing up and there wasn't any more room for anybody in that church, that's when we decided we had to build the Christ cathedral. And we, we started the construction the year I graduated from college in 76. So from 76 to 80 was pretty exciting time for me. I'm here building this magnificent structure. Uh, I am I'm going to seminary, so I'm commuting from Garden Grove to Pasadena to go to Fuller. Uh I'm developing prayer groups throughout the church. So we and the prayer groups were, would meet up in the Tower of Hope. And we had people who would meet up there twenty four hours a day, keeping keeping the cathedral and the congregation in prayer. And um and then I was also developing small groups, uh, we called the Hearts of Flame. So that was a real exciting time in my life from yeah. seventy six. So eight.
0: you watched you watched a ministry go from in many ways a startup to something that was now reaching around the world. This must have left quite the impact on you.
1: Oh, oh, there's there's no question. Um I remember I remember worship I remember sitting around the, the picnic benches as a child in the drive in theater. And um, one of the things I vividly remember was these giant crayons. Giant meaning they were, they were as mm-hmm. as, as round as my thumb, uh, so they were really big. So, yeah. I think they did that because they didn't want them to melt in the sun or something, <laughs> you know. But or maybe they didn't break as much, or I don't know. I just remember these giant crayons. Might have that be, that yeah. So cool. That's uh... so. That's one of my one of my earliest memories, and and I remember moving into the. I remember everything and uh, i i i remember uh, as a i remember laying literally uh planting all the big old trees around the property with my father and and uh, actually doing the the physical construction of the buildings um a leading youth group so i was so i was i led the youth groups through high school and and uh, the worship and everything else so very very, very active. From the time I was, you know, from the time I was born, until the time I left in in, in two thousand and eight,
0: and so he, I heard that uh, the building had a, quite a, a famous architect attached to it. How did that come about?
1: <laughs> yeah, Philip Johnson. Well, my dad, uh, when he came to Garden Grove, used Neutra. Richard Neutra was a was the leading architect in the sixties and. And he just did some magnificent stuff. And after Neutra passed, my dad was just kind of lost. So he, he, he was he he really had a, had a refinement uh, and a desire for art in architecture. And so he just he just went on a search. Who is the finest architect in America today? uh who's building stuff that's unique and different and I forget what tower he built in New York City that caught his attention at the time and said, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him. He did. He ended up hiring him. Um and then Philip brought the first designs of the new cathedral to my dad. And the the roof was glass, but the sides were concrete or some other kind of a construction. And my dad said, "Well, what if we just have the whole thing glass, not just the roof, but the sides as well?" <laughs> yeah,
0: he went all out. This guy like glass.
1: And with, and with that, it was all glass. And um, did you break any so of those I window had, panes that
0: along the way? Or I'm sure. I mean, putting up how many pieces was, of glass?
1: There's ten thousand windows. Wow! And so the building in in the 70s, the cost, original cost was going to be $7 million to build it, which was an astronomical that's, that's amount a lot of, of money, money at the time. Uh, today, it's nothing. People are spending that for a fraction of what we have. But in the time, it was, it was huge. And um, my father figured he'd find one donor to to at least for a million dollars, and that would get him started. And he did. Got a guy by the name of John Crean. He was the he was the chairman, the founder of Fleetwood Enterprises, a recreation vehicle manufacturer. And he made he gave the first million dollars, and my dad, with the gift of a million dollars, went out and decided, okay, now I'm going to get a real price of what it's really going to cost.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's let's <laughs> make the,
1: it for the cathedral. And uh, when the real prices came in, it wasn't $7 million, it was $17 million. Wow. And, um, and so he went back to John Crean to give him his money back. He was just going to scrap the whole idea. It was too expensive. And John Crean said, well, that's a million dollars. That's not exactly chump change. What can you do with a million dollars? He said, well, I guess I can dig a hole. And he said, <laughs> then dig the hole. And my father. Said, Said that when he dug that hole, he felt like he was digging his grave, hmm. because the it was the the goal was so big and the the means to get there was so astronomically difficult that he didn't know how he was going to do it. But uh, he dug the hole, um, and then from there uh, we sold windows for five hundred dollars a piece. And there Big was 10,000 windows, hmm. but there was, but we sold all of them and there was a name attached to every single window. And then we sold stars that hung from the roof and, and we sold those for $500 a piece. And then we sold this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, seats were $1,500 each. You could wow. buy a seat. It didn't mean it was yours. You just got your name put on this.
0: Boy. Yeah. And and I think and, you, you can uh, understand like from an outsider's perspective, um, hearing all that it, it seems like a, a lot of a lot of work a lot a lot of trouble goes into something that maybe it didn 't need to be built so big
1: well that was that's what what part of my thought was with my dad when he went back to John Crean to give him his money back he wasn't going to do it and and john wouldn 't accept the gift and he John challenged him, and as a result he did and uh, it was a, it landed up being uh, a magnificent um it it really launched him into into the next stratosphere as far as ministry and and um and, and the like is concerned and uh, so the eighties were a really big uh expansion time for for the ministry uh in the first part of the eighties uh there wasn't there wasn't anyone in the U.S. who did not know who Robert Schuller was. Anyone who watched television in the '80s had three choices of programming: That's <laughs>
0: it. NBC,
1: CBS, or ABC. You know, mm-hmm. and and so if you turn your your television on, you let me see what's what do we have? What are our three options? And so anybody who watched television at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings would have known. Who Robert Schuller was? And there's your because, dad.
0: I mean, how crazy! Like that's your, yeah. that was your dad, man.
1: And in eighty, I, in nineteen eighty, I was there on every program as well. So I was reading scriptures and offering prayers, and I was delivering um, oh, about four or five messages a year back in the eighties. So we, so it was, so we couldn't go anywhere without somebody knowing who
0: we were. I mean, you guys were all, you were the celebs in the country. Everybody knew you. It was the Benny Hens, of Correct. course, they, they had a name. The Robertsons had a name. No,
1: Benny Hinn didn't exist
0: then. No, no, not yet. All right, I got my facts wrong. Um, he
1: wasn't on the radar.
0: Wasn't on the radar. So no, the,
1: the people on the radar was Oral Roberts, Robert Schuler, Rex Humbard, and Billy Graham. And Billy Graham. There was no TBN. There was no cable. There was no um, the satellite. There was simply airwaves, and so we had a hundred and ninety-seven individual stations that we had annual contracts with, and every year we had to renew a hundred and ninety-seven different contracts.
0: That's incredible. So
1: that's every.
0: That's so incredible.
1: That, that was. That was, uh, four contracts a week,
0: <laughs> man, that's, that's messy. And so you were learning everything about the business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, and
0: that was, uh,
1: we were spending, we were spending $18 million a year in
0: airtime. $18 million a year was being spent to just to, be on the air.
1: To be on the air.
0: Correct. So to keep your lights on each year was an astronomical number.
1: It was about, um, when I, it was about in the eighties when, when it was about, uh, uh, it was about, I want to say it was $30 million
0: or something like that. $30 million to start the year to say that's our number.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're a businessman
0: that that's, that's a enormous hole to climb out of.
1: Yeah. So, so you have, first of all, you got the airtime seventeen million. So then you have twenty two million dollars to raise the seventeen million dollars, pay your expenses, and to um, salaries. And we had a, We had a, We had uh, about four hundred employees to be able to be careful.
0: Four hundred care employees. That. Now, was your dad we, one of those and, that was doing big salaries to himself, or or no? No, no.
1: We 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 had very small salaries, um, uh, very small. Uh, we in fact never received money from our books. We gave all of the we gave we wrote the books and gave the books to the Hour of Power to raise money to buy the airtime. What what he did is he instead of taking money and, and putting it and buying airplanes or or uh, buying. Buying buying himself a, a, a nice house or something. What he did is he lived off he lived off of his book royalty and a small salary from the church. And this is what we both did, and the royal the royalties we got from the books are the books that sold in the bookstore only.
0: Hmm.
1: And in fact, what we did is we had different EIN numbers for the books that sold in the bookstore and the books that sold in the hour of power, which means. We didn't, which was, I think it was a mistake, but that was the only way we could, we could get the books for the hour of power at the cost. So we would actually, we would sell a $20 book for, we would buy $20 books for $2 because my father and I wouldn't get royalties. The publisher wouldn't make any money and the hour of power would, would sell the books for $25 and hmm. and then people could go to the bookstore if they wanted and buy the book for twenty dollars. And if they did that instead of making a gift to the ministry, then my father and I would get a would get a royalty from those books that sold in the bookstores from people who didn't want to buy them through the hour of power. So there was a lot of accountability.
0: Like I, I I would say I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting, but I also wasn't not. Like that's that's quite enlightening.
1: So. So what we did, so we were able to raise, so all any additional money that came into the ministry was really put into buildings and grounds. My dad just loved designing and building pieces of art uh, that he could use, his, and it's called architecture. And that's what he did.
0: And that's what he did. So. And the Hour of Power had it, at one time an audience... Of more than twenty million, what was its appeal?
1: That's, I think that's conservative. We were the number one religious, we were the number one, um, religiously watched program on television, um, from the early seventies until I left in two thousand and eight.
0: Hmm, that's a long run, and, and so for you, being that now you are out, you're known around the world, living at once as the pastor's kid, and now you're still a pastor's son, but now you are the senior pastor. Now you're out. Now you have a a ministry. You are in the media's attention. Everyone's watching you. And you know, there's a large group that says, I'm just waiting for him to screw up. Everybody wants you. They they all want to see pastor's kids that come from that background fail. And yet you haven't, you haven't gone on a vicious attack. You haven't really exposed like there's no family secrets that people can't already Google how did you hold yourself to yeah. an accountable to an accountability that quite frankly no one can ever understand what it is like to be you
1: yeah i he, here here's what i know i know that i've been called for a purpose and for a reason and those purposes and those reasons um are are what my life's goal is to discover uh god doesn't actually you know mark it on the wall doesn't have doesn't uh, put on your laptop for you okay here's what you're supposed to do today here's your calendar uh you have to discover all that and um and it's a constantly changing process part of the process is and for me in the last few years it's been discovering humility it's been discovering uh okay you you need to do this yourself learning new talents and skills and and so so i've uh, my life has changed very dramatically since 2008 but my prayer has been the prayer of jabez it always has been and for the first uh, 50 years 55 years of my life the prayer of jabez was focused on expand my territory and And we expanded our territory. We had offices in 16 different countries, including Moscow, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, uh, and again, uh, the the normal ones that you would expect, like Australia and New Zealand. all over
0: the world. And
1: and London and and all all that stuff. But we had 16 international offices, all of which were running independently, uh, bringing in their own income and developing their own network within their, their country and their sphere. And again, including China.
0: Wow, it's not supposed Russia. to happen in China. So, you guys figured no, out a way to make that work.
1: We did. And, um, you know, I was on a... I could tell you stories. I don't know. How much time do we have on this radio
0: show? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. You can keep going. You're good. we got about another 30 minutes before uh, my, oh, my team usually says fabulous. we're, we're okay, out. Yeah, so, keep going, man.
1: So, So, I was so a few years ago I was traveling with Bishop Ferreira in Brazil. He has a million members uh, and he has a he has churches big beautiful churches all throughout Brazil and I was traveling with him and he was sharing with me the darkest time of his life. It was it was in 1990 and he was in a Russian jail for 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 pastoring a churches in russia have been at the same time here's how here's how weird it is at the same time my father was on channel one as a guest of mikhail gorbachev hmm. sharing his message with the entire nation and and it's so bizarre that here's one christian evangelist uh, who's in jail for doing the same thing my father was doing mm. as Kirsten Mikhail Gorbachev and sharing it with the entire entire world? and and I, I don't understand. I don't understand the hand of God and how how that works. But what I do know is that the day will come when when I do have the full understanding of why things happen the way they do. Uh, I like to use the illustration of the of the tapestry. Life is like a tapestry, and we simply see in this life of ours the backside of the tapestry. We see all the tangles and the knots and, and the hangling, dangling strings, and that's all we can see from the backside of the tapestry. But the day will come when we see the front side of the tapestry, and then we can say, and we look at the we look at the at the sparkle in the eye of uh, in the tapestry, and we say, ah, oh, and we discover that that's the time I was going through that difficulty, and so that's the time
0: that, I was that going was, through those stresses. That that was it. So I, this is a, a personal question I've never asked anybody on the air before. And that's you grew up as a pastor's kid; you were expected yeah. to believe the family business, like everything you had to. You had to act as if you believed. But when did you, when did the man come to his own conclusion, his own moment, logic, reasoning, when did you say, I actually really believe it? I do believe it. Like, When did that moment happen? Do you remember, again, I, I would say, being grown up indoctrination, you're told something, but when did you come to your own conclusion?
1: Um, I can't answer that question because... I've really always believed it. Uh I I made my affirmation of faith at a Billy Graham crusade in nineteen sixty three. I already told you that story. Yep. Uh I joined the church when I was twelve or thirteen, so I reaffirmed my faith again in front of the congregation. And uh as a as as a high school young man I knew that I was I was I was participating in leadership, and and I went to I went to college, which was quite a challenge for me to get into college because I graduated. I had a learning disability, and today they would they would have a label on it. Back then, I was just the label was stupid because because I couldn't read, and I graduated from high school without knowing how to read, hmm. and so I could. I could read the words, but I couldn't put them together in a comprehendable sentence. So I remember, I think I was in my senior year. My father asked me to read a paragraph out of Time Magazine. I read the paragraph and he goes, what did you read? I couldn't tell him. I couldn't uh, explain it. I had no idea what I read. I just spoken the words that were on the page. And that's how my reading comprehension was.
0: That's how it began.
1: So, hmm. so the, so... By the grace of God, I was able to get into college in spite of that, and I had a plan that would help me get through college, and that was to major in music. And because um, I knew, in order for me to get ordained in the Reformed Church of America, I had to go to, I had to graduate from college, and then I had to graduate from seminary. I had to have uh, twelve hours of Greek, twelve hours of Hebrew. I had to pass these these, uh,
0: foreign language very intense.
1: skills. So it was, it's a very, uh, scholastically demanding, uh, profession I was going into. And yet I didn't have, I, I had been cursed with this inability to read. My parents had taken me to all kinds of reading, uh, tutors and, and everything else. And it just never clicked. I just never could figure out really how to comprehend uh, comprehend anything. So my reading uh, you know I could I I I had a like a first or second grade reading comprehension. Um and I'm going into college.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So so how do you, how do you deal
0: How with do you that? do that? That's a lot. Yeah. of. But you've already had so much pressure on you growing up that this wasn't really new.
1: So what I so what I did is I decided to ma- major in music. Uh, music was easy for me. I was uh, I could my um, I, I from the time I was five, my mother took me to piano lessons, which I didn't really like, but landed up being a lifesaver for me. Uh, I played all the stringed instruments um, and I sang in choirs and had a good voice, and so I decided I would just I would become a um, vocal performance major in college, and then by the time I got to seminary and I had deal with the reading and seminary, I'd, I'd figure that out. So knowing I had to have all these language requirements, I had to have a language requirement to graduate from college. So I decided I would take Greek. So I would get that out of the way before I got to seminary. So I was, so I took my first semester of Greek and I, I barely passed. So I signed up for the next semester for Greek too, so my you leveled my courses, up, good for you, Robert. So my my courses the first sem- semester in college was uh, was uh, several music courses and Greek. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: that was it. So I, that was it.
1: My first semester. That's right. A Bunch of music and and Greek. So, so I, do you like Greek food semester,
0: too? I mean, throw that in there because Greek food is is delicious.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I love Greek food. You bet. So so my second semester, I I go to take uh, my second semester of, of Greek two, and my professor reads off my name, and he goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, uh, I, I'm here to take the, the course. And he goes, well, you're not ready for this course. And I said, well, you gave me a passing grade. And he said, yes, the emphasis is on gave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you do have a good last name. You don't want to. Yeah, my son. <laughs> yeah, and I'm
1: going. Uh, oh. he goes and so I said he said talk to me after class. So I, this is the first day of class, right? Yeah. And, and and so I, so I talked to him after class and he goes, "You're not ready for this class. You didn't you're you're not capable of going on to the next thing." I go, "I told him I was going to seminary. And I had to learn this stuff." And he says he kind of rolls his eyes and he goes, "The only way you're going to get through here is if you can find a tutor." And here i'm in holland michigan i go where am i gonna find a tutor in greek <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and he goes i'll tell you what i'll tutor you and he did and while he is so i go into his into his office which was like a hallway and one the back side of the hallway was covered with books the other side was a place where where two people could sit and and it was there wasn't you couldn't even walk behind his desk but i remember. Sitting in there, and he says, and he hands me the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. He says, "Okay, read, 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 it, read the first uh, couple sentences here of, of John." It was, I remember specifically it was the Gospel of John. And I started reading the Gospel of John in Greek, and he goes, you "Can't read it like that. You'll never understand anything." So he takes the Bible out of my hand, and he read it, and the way he read it, I could I could actually hear. What what the what was trying to be communicated? And he said, "Now read it like that." So I go, "Okay," and I read it like he did, and uh, uh, and a light went off in my head that said, "Maybe I'm supposed to read English the same way."
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and so I went and I I, I experimented with the books. I'm going. I get it. This is just like the light went off, and uh, from then on, I never had problems reading. And uh, and and God brought me, God brought me through, and I landed up changing my major the next, the following year from music to uh, ancient civilization.
0: Wow, that's quite the jump.
1: Only, and the only reason I went to ancient civilization was because that was the only thing I could graduate. I could major in and graduate in four years. And there isn't anything that's better for, for a seminary student to graduate in than ancient civilization.
0: That's a good one.
1: Because, because you give your language, you have all of the culture of the time. It goes from basically the time of the Bible. It starts with Babylonian culture and takes you through uh, the end of the Roman empire. And you're studying art, you're studying architecture, you're studying, uh, cultures, you're studying, um, so it it landed up being a perfect major.
0: It was very helpful. So now what's it like having your son, Bobby in the business or in your ministry? And he's on the current hour of power broadcast and is a pastor at Shepherds Grove, like this, this is for you is watching it uh, from another lens.
1: Yeah, Exactly but it's not that different because I watched my father all the time. Now it's like instead of me looking looking up to the to to instead of me instead of looking up at my father, I feel like I'm a father looking down on my son. <laughs> yeah.
0: I got a, I got a little guy myself. So give me some advice from from a uh, from a grandpa type perspective now. I mean, it's as you look back on your life, everything um, everything must appear so differently as you look back on each problem or each what you thought was a problem. Uh, what would you say to people out there, our listeners around the world, that are, that are dealing with trauma, childhood trauma, stress, worry, anxiety, and not all of them maybe are in the situation that we're in. Uh, people are struggling, as you know, and that is something your ministry is helping people around the world to, to cope with. What words do you have for them? You
1: know what? People Struggle. They struggle emotionally. They struggle financially. They they struggle with health issues. They struggle with relationships. Uh, there there isn't a way to avoid uh, avoid the turmoils and the struggles in life. And what we have to realize is that even though things may not seem fair, God is good. Uh, even though. It's, things we may not comprehend why God allows this to happen to us we have to realize that uh, through it all it, God turns it into good my life verse has been romans 8:28 uh, and uh, all things work together for good to those who love god who are called according to his purpose and as Great a result verse. of that the 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 time will come when when we are able to look back on our life and realize that God allowed this to happen to us or for us uh, for a purpose and for a reason, which is, which is valuable and beautiful and good.
0: Well said. And final question we have for you today, Robert, and we ask this of all of our guests. Who is the toughest person you've ever known? Toughest could be mentally, could be uh, personally to you, it could be physically. Somebody in your life that represented either some form of accountability or someone that got you through some tough days. It could be when you're older, it could be when you're younger. Uh, but overall, you would say you've met a lot of people, probably hundreds of thousands, my guess. All the emails, communications, uh, Skype calls, everyone that you've come across in your path, you've met a lot of inspiring people. Who would you mm-hmm. say? And it doesn't have to be just one, but some of the toughest people or toughest person yep. that you've known. That you looked up to.
1: Yeah, there's there's a ton, but the one that comes to my mind right now is Glenn Stearns.
0: Glenn Stearns. Um,
1: and I think the reason Glenn Stearns comes up to my mind right now is that I'm going to a premiere. Uh, uh, his he's his premiere of a show that he did, uh, and it's. Um, um, Undercover billionaire is what I think it's called. And what they do is they take these wealthy individuals and they give them a hundred dollars and they drop them off in some community where they have no history or contacts. And they say, okay, now go and make a million bucks in 40 or 50 days. Let's see if you can do it again. Can
0: they do it again?
1: And so Glenn just did that. I don't know what, whether he did it or not. All I do know is that he was dropped off in the streets of Philadelphia with nothing but a hundred dollar bill. He's not allowed to use his contacts. He's not allowed to use his name. He's not allowed to, uh, I mean, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a home to live in. He doesn't have a car. He has literally nothing but the clothes on his back and a hundred dollar bill. Now what do you do? And that's the TV show. Fascinating. So
0: that's a good concept.
1: So I'll find out, but here's why I think he's tough. And why? So, how much time do we have?
0: Uh, we've got about five more minutes.
1: Okay, no oh, good. I can. I have plenty of time. So, I, he and I were in a, we were in Bible study together for many years, and it's a small group Bible study. And um, uh, he he was in the mortgage business, and and when we were in this Bible study together in two thousand and six and two thousand and seven. And in 2007, the mortgage crisis was devastating. Uh, every single person that was involved in the mortgage industry closed their doors. And I remember him going through that time, and we were praying him through this time and helping him. And uh, he he was closing. He had several offices all over the nation, and he was closing in his offices. And I remember he was he was moving furniture. He himself was moving the furniture because he couldn't afford to hire a mover to do it. And, um, uh, and he's just hanging on by the, by the skin of his teeth. And I remember him r- crossing this threshold and we're sitting down together. And I said, so, so he goes, I, I still made it. And there's and he and the next month he goes, I have my best month ever. And I, Oh, wow! And the next month it was his best month ever because he was the last man standing. Everybody else closed their doors. Nobody else made it except him.
0: He, he's wow! So he he made it through. What others they gave up, quit. They didn't plan, prepare. This is this is a strong man.
1: Yeah, he ended up acquiring um, huge mortgage companies that would you would be familiar with and. And uh you can look up Stern's it's all and he rebranded everything Stern's Stern's Lending. Stern's Lending. And uh and um uh, then after th- and then after that he he uh he got throat cancer. Uh, I didn't think he was gonna survive that and he survived the throat cancer. Hmm. Then he got then his cancer came back and he survived that cancer. Tough man. And uh now he just finished this this billionaire this undercover billionaire where he was on the streets for 40 days Jeez. with nothing more than 100
0: bucks that's scary man that that is really yeah i, <laughs> I, I don't know. yeah that you, when i you said tough to you're that. like hey dustin look he had 100 bucks man I'm like i'd afraid you, it. you gave me a thousand like not not going to happen that that is quite well but we 100 always look bucks wow and
1: they stick him on the streets and say Good luck.
0: See you in 40 days. (laughs) Go do it. And he made it.
1: So I'll find out what happened tonight. What monopoly
0: does he have? Yeah. I'd want to know like, what's he running now? Like everybody owns half the neighborhood. That's pretty cool. Well, we we are always looking for nominations. I would be honored if you'd nominate him, uh, to, for the torch to come on and we would tell his story and how you guys met and your relationship. You'd be the special caller. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. So, yeah, I would love to do that, but, um, uh, I just want to let people know that, uh, if you want to connect with me, uh, uh, you can connect with me through drschuler.org. That's my website. And that website is a portal for people to be able to move to other, other venues, such as my, my, we have our church service that we post every Sunday on Facebook live and, um, to find it on Facebook Live, you just search Robert Shuler Ministries, or you go to the drshuler.org and go through the portal there. And then also on YouTube, we have our Robert Shuler Ministries on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and search Robert Shuler Ministries, you can see all the different videos that um, my wife and I put together for our church with no walls. And um, so anyway, I wanna, I just want to thank you, Dustin, for this time and for the opportunity to, to just share this, the, 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 the fact that God is good and that as we just keep on keeping on, uh, we will discover that uh, all things do work together for good.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show today and ending it off with life's tough. Glenn Stearns is tougher. Thanks for joining us today.
1: <laughs> God bless you, Justin. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
0: So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks again to Dr. Robert Schuller for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant, engaging, and fastest-growing shows around. Also, special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough chief writer and my Sherpa, and to my friend, John Miller of the Alston Carlisle Studio, our executive producer here in Baltimore, Maryland. You already know life is tough and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to c g r u n d at sfpfinancial.com. That's Seagrund at sfpfinancial.com to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. Instead, I ask you to use your story to empower others. Your story may be just what it takes to help somebody in your circle or perhaps in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance in which that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show, visit lifestuff.com and be sure to join us every week for a new stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Tell your friends about us too. Remember, everyone has a story and every story has a purpose. Life's tough. You can be tougher. Thanks for listening and being a part of our community. Now, from the entire Life Stuff team here in Baltimore, Maryland, this is Dustin Planalt signing off. Have a great week, everyone.